to the angel in the church of Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And then let us go to Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule through the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself amongst all the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except for you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and, asked God, and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. 
Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I did have a slideshow prepared here, but I guess uh, the remote wasn't found, the TV wasn't working this morning, so I apologize, you're just going to have me here. But uh, it was mostly pictures, so if you want to see them later, I'll show them to you. So, Sorry about that. Anyway, uh, some quick background information on me is that I am a Mountie. I consider the beginning of my adult life to have started right here in Regina uh, while I was going through the RCMP's basic training. This is also when I first met Pastor David. Uh, and upon graduating from Depot, I moved to Sherwood Park, Alberta, which is where I first met Pastor Mike. I certainly didn't anticipate that 14 years later, I'd be fortunate enough to come to a church where both of them are on staff. After a couple more moves through Northwest Territories, including an isolated fly-in community in the Arctic Circle, my family moved to Regina so that I could instruct at Depot. My family and I have been coming to Parliament now for almost two years. Before we get started, I just also want to thank those of you who were praying for me leading up to uh, this week. I just got back from Nova Scotia yesterday morning, very early. My wife and kids are still there for another week but I was a little bit anxious about making it back in terms of uh, travel arrangements and delays and all that. So praise be to God, I arrived here very early yesterday morning, and we're good to go. So 
Please pray with me. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you that we could all be here today, along with those at home, encouraged to worship you and grow together. We trust that you are here working in our midst, and we pray that we'll be attentive to you this morning and each day. God, I pray that your words are heard this morning, not mine. That we'll be in tune with whatever and wherever you lead us. Pray this today in Jesus' name. I brought something with you, uh, with me today to share with you. If I can get it out, I'll share it with you. It's a little rubber snake. It's one of my kids' toys. And uh, to me, it's more than a toy. Anyone who's spent any amount of time with my two boys, speaking with my two boys, would quickly find out that they pride themselves in being the current generation's version of the little rascals. I actually had a picture of this with them doing their little rascal face. Anyway, sometimes this comes up with them liking to set up what they call rascal traps throughout our house. Sometimes it's in the form of tying up various things around our house with rope. And in other times, it's trying to trick people by offering super sour candy or soap-flavored chewing gum, only to laugh at the grimaces and puckers that come across people's faces when they realize what they've been duped into. One of the games that my boys love to play recently is hiding this snake on me. Somehow, they learned of my discomfort for snakes and realized that it would be the best way to be sneaky and trick me on a daily basis. Again, I had pictures of all the different places they've put this snake, but you'll just have to trust me unless you want to see later on. I found it in my folded-up laundry. I found it in my work bag, under my pillow, in my shoes, and even in my coffee cup. So, each time they hide this snake, they always ask me when I get home, hey, Dad, did you find my trap today? <laughs> That's the game they love to play on me. And sure, I'm not overly fond of snakes, but I've grown to quite like this one. When I see this snake, my mind immediately goes to those two boys. More than that, though, it reminds me they're watching me. They're watching me. They know where I'm going to be, what shoes I'm likely to wear, even which cup I'm most likely to grab when I pour a cup of coffee in the morning. This is a message that, as a police officer, I often share with my cadets. People are watching. This is a message also that I think applies to us as Christians. People are watching. Almost all, if not all of us, interact with people from our communities on a daily basis. Be it our coworkers, our neighbors, strangers at the grocery store, or at a restaurant. Friends, our children, even our own family members. Regardless of what their basis of faith is, they're watching. Especially those who know us as Christians, they're watching. What we need to be reminded of is what are they seeing? 
What type of witness or example are we being for them? I've had many friends and people that I work with tell me, your wife, Mary Jane, she's so nice. And as being the smart husband that I think I am, I often respond saying, yeah, she's great. I've lost track of how many times I've been told, no. There's good and nice people. Then there's Mary Jane. Maybe they don't know how to describe it, or maybe they don't understand it. Maybe they can't explain the difference. Maybe they refuse to want to admit it or recognize it as Christ's love. But the fact remains, they recognize the difference between simply being nice and being more. How I interpret it is that they are seeing Christ through her. It's another reminder to me that every interaction is an opportunity to share Christ with people regardless of who they are and what our relationships with them are. Today's reading shows us how powerful these opportunities are. Daniel chapter 6, a fairly familiar story in children's church and programs. Many of us think of the basics of the story. The king issues a decree that nobody will worship God. Daniel continues to worship God and for it is cast into the lion's den. As we know, God sends an angel to shut the mouths of the lions and Daniel is saved. What I think is often overlooked is Daniel's relationship and the opportunities that he has to show God to people. Let's go back a couple of weeks. We, uh, we know that Daniel first comes to the forefront during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar appointed Daniel to be the chief of the magicians, the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He makes an impression on the king as someone with a lot of wisdom. There's something different about him. Last week, we see that King Belshazzar is really concerned about this writing on the wall. He can't interpret it. Who can? He doesn't understand it, and he frantically seeks someone who can make sense of it for him. He's reminded of Daniel. Daniel is described as having the insight, intelligence, and wisdom like that of the gods, small g. In the NIV translation, he's described as having the spirit of gods in him. Again, small g. The message goes one further to say that he is full of the Holy Spirit. Daniel is brought to the king to interpret writing on the wall and bluntly delivers the news to King Belshazzar that his kingdom will fall into the hands of the Medes and Persians. Daniel told King Belshazzar that he was going to lose his entire kingdom, probably the worst news he could have delivered. And he was immediately rewarded for it, regardless of Daniel saying that he did not want the reward and it should be given to someone else. Now along comes King Darius, as the Medes and Persians claim the kingdom. We may not know much about King Darius, but we do know that organization was very important to him. He liked to have everything meticulously organized in its own proper spot. We can also trust that King Darius did not subscribe to the Jewish faith or worship the God of the Jews. King Darius also takes a liking to Daniel. Someone he has no history with. Someone who served two previous kings under a completely different rule. Daniel is a Jewish exile. He's not of Persian or Medes descent. Yet, 
King Darius takes favor in him. Somehow, he keeps being recognized and chosen to be the go-to guy for the kings. King Darius starts to organize Babylon by appointing 120 satraps, or governors, to control the population. On top of them were three vice regents, or presidents, that the governors would report to. Daniel was appointed as one of these presidents. Not only was he one of the three most influential people aside from the king at the time, he was also viewed as being the king's favorite. As with all good plot lines in Hollywood movies, the other presidents and governors were not happy about this, and so they devised a plan. After finding out that there was no skeletons in Daniel's closet, nothing shady in his past, the other presidents and governors decide to create some form of controversy for Daniel. They appealed to King Darius's vanity, and they convinced him to make the law that nobody would be allowed to worship anyone aside from King Darius himself. Once the law was made, uh, it was displayed on a wall for all people to see. Once it was hanging on that wall, at that point, then it was in full effect. The other part about the law is that at that time, it was unalterable. Once the law was put into effect, not even the king himself could change it. In this case, the law had been made for a period of 30 days, perhaps a feeling out or a trial period. Daniel now had a decision to make. Recognizing that he was living in a time of adversity where the presidents, governors, and now the king were claiming it was against the law to worship God, and knowing that the punishment would be certain death, Daniel was forced to decide. Does he give in to the command of a man? Or does he continue to follow a serenely and supremely sovereign God? Well, Daniel returns home. And he goes upstairs to pray. Does he purposefully fling open the windows and doors for all to see his act of civil disobedience? Or are there even windows and doors that would have normally concealed it? That's not really a matter that I want to tackle this morning. Regardless, he returns home to pray to God, fully well knowing that he is now against the law. Again, fully well knowing that his punishment would be death. Sure enough, the other presidents and governors had caught Daniel. They brought the crime to the king's attention, and King Darius was stunned. Did King Darius know the full extent of his actions would be when he had made the law? I like to think that he didn't. Regardless, the damage was done. There was nothing that King Darius could do to change what had happened, and due to how the law worked, he couldn't change the law that had been put into effect. King Darius had no choice but to sentence Daniel to be cast into the lion's den. Before sealing the wall, the last thing that King Darius says to Daniel is, May your God save you. King Darius knows that Daniel is doomed to become kitten chow, and yet his last words are that he, King Darius, hopes that he is wrong. King Darius returns home, and in his grief, he's so distraught that he refuses to eat. He refuses any form of entertainment, and he can't even fall asleep. King Darius isn't thinking about himself or how great of a king he is. His mind is on Daniel, and it's completely full of regret. Now, we all know that the next thing to happen is that an angel of God comes and keeps Daniel safe throughout the evening, 
and that Daniel's trust in God doesn't waver, and he's given God's reward of protection for it. Next, we read that at the first light of dawn, King Darius rushes to the den, opens it up, and finds Daniel alive and well. The king doesn't wake up and decide to hit the snooze button four times. He doesn't seek a morning coffee to get him going. He doesn't even stop and say that he's got to do the crossword in the Babylonian times prior to starting his day. King Darius does not delay at all. This is the most important thing for him to do today, to check on Daniel. King Darius cared about Daniel. This was not just some person to him. Daniel was someone special. The king calls out to him, and how? Daniel, servant of the living God. Not my servant, servant of the living God. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel holds no ill content for King Darius. His response is, may the king live forever. And they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Daniel was just sentenced to death and thrown into the lion's den to be their supper. He had every right to feel betrayed by King Darius. His persistent and unwavering trust in God delivered him from harm and played a vital role in Daniel's witness for King Darius. King Darius, someone who did not believe in the God of the Jews, observed Daniel's faithfulness and recognized the value that it had. Those who had accused Daniel were sentenced to be thrown into the lion's den along with their families. As we read, before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. The accusers were not saved as their acts had betrayed God and the king. King Darius then takes the first opportunity to send letters to all the nations and decree everyone will worship the God of Daniel, the God of the Jews. King Darius himself is changed to worship God because of the witness that Daniel provides. And Daniel, well, he goes on to serve yet another king after Darius. There's just something special or different about him. Our series that we're working through there is called Facing Lions. And as we read in Daniel 6, who are the lions in our story? Well, apart from the obvious lions in the den, regardless of whether you believe them be real or fictitious, we also have the other presidents and governors who plotted against Daniel. Perhaps we can even put King Darius on that list as he was making decisions that would be adverse to Daniel's life of faith and relationship with God. We each need to recognize that we're surrounded by lions every day in our lives. Some don't realize that they're the lions. Others are waiting and wanting for us to trip up and make errors so they can pounce on us and those errors whenever possible. Ultimately, we must remember people are watching. They're watching us and taking in how we act in all situations. Daniel didn't scare away from his everyday relationships. Was he scared? Probably yes. However, he continued to remain faithful to God, and this relationship was not one that he hid from those around him. King Darius fully well knew that Daniel had a relationship with God, 
He observed this through his interactions with Daniel. Daniel wasn't just different. King Darius was seeing the reflection of Daniel's relationship with God through all their interactions. Daniel was clearly not just a moral or good person. There was something more to him. King Darius, an unbeliever, observed Daniel's faithfulness to God. He saw the consistency in Daniel's morals and faith. The witness that Daniel had even led to King Darius changing his mind and making a decree that Daniel's God was the one true God whom all needed to follow. Daniel recognized that he had a relationship with King Darius, but he also had a commitment, an eternal commitment to God. The one who had the power to control the lions, the one who would deliver him from harm, Daniel did not want the worldly riches that King Belshazzar offered. He wanted the eternal reward that could only be offered through God. And he received it through being saved in the lion's den. Now, every one of us here today proclaiming to be a Christian also has that relationship through Christ. Christ, who gave his life for ours. Christ, part of the triune God who offers us the only path to that salvation. Many of us have relationships with unsaved friends, much like Daniel and King Darius. Too often, I think we fail those relationships by not holding ourselves to that high standard of faith and practice that the world expects from God's people. We don't do our relationships with God justice by allowing others to see the commitment that we claim to have. Each interaction with those friends, strangers, even family members is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to share how great God is. It's a chance to share what a life with Christ means and how great it can be. You may be sitting there thinking, but I'm afraid. Or sometimes I'm afraid of how people will react. Or what if I mess up? What if I don't do God justice? What if I fail? What's worse? Failing? We're not trying. God doesn't want us to box up our relationship with him and hide it from people. He came for all people. All people, not just the ones that we choose and think deserve him. He's loved each of us so that, me, that we may also share that love with others. We will likely all still come across those lions who have no intention or desire to change their point of view or just want to attack any position of faith. There will always be people that will not be convinced otherwise or those who will try to convince us away from our faith. Will God accept that as a reason to not try? Will, God, will Christ be okay with us making excuses to not share his love with people through our thoughts, our words, or our actions? I don't think so. Now, not standing here saying that we have to approach everyone and begin every conversation with, hey, have you heard the good news? And if that's you, then good on you, you do you. What I'm suggesting is that we seek to be more than someone who's simply morally good or nice. Seek to be seen as something different. 
especially to those who don't understand how to describe that reflection of Christ through us. Allow people to see how Christ has transformed you because we can all trust people are watching. Let's pray. Father God, today we pray for courage. Remind us to trust that where we go, you are there with us. Remind us to reflect our relationships with you for others so that they may see you and be challenged to find out why someone is more than what we generally expect from each other. So that we can truly be your hands and ensure that people see you. Strengthen us when we feel inadequate or shy. Remind us that with you by our side, we're never alone. And that's something that every person we encounter can have too. Amen.